You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hi, you're listening to the Leaders Lab, a new podcast that unpacks lessons from great leaders across all walks of life and turns them into actionable advice to help you on your own leadership journey. My name is Ken Eslick. Today, I'm here with Glenn Greenewalt. Glenn is the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of LGC Hospitality Staffing. They are a huge staffing firm. They'll do over $100 million in sales in 2022, over 40 offices across the country with over 200 internal employees. And get this, they will W-2 over 30,000 temporary workers this year alone. LGC was founded in 2003. Glenn is a graduate from Purdue University, is a prior Marine combat engineer, and a top percentile graduate in the Marine Officer Program. Please join me in welcoming Glenn Greenewalt. Glenn, what's up? Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so good to see you, man. Well, it's been a little bit. I'm not going to dive right into your business and professional stuff just because I know that a little bit. And I wanted our viewers to get to know you a little yep. bit first. And so, you know, at the Leaders Lab podcast, we unpack lessons from great leaders across all walks of life. We turn them into actionable advice to help people on their own leadership journey. You know, up up till now, Glenn, what's been your biggest leadership lesson? I used to think a lot about leadership. I was wired that way, I guess. Just, you know, asking myself, what does it mean, you know, to be a good leader? And you know, it's not easy. If you go to Webster's, it says leadership is the ability to lead or something like that. So right. it's kind of circular. So, you know, I think one of the things that I've kind of settled on is just the ability to have the vision. I think a lot of people, you know, they start with, you know, they jump right in with action or whatever, but they don't really know what the target is. And so the first thing, you know, that, that comes to my mind when I, when I think of a leader is they must have a vision. Awesome. Well, and I, and I want to dive into that more. And I know you and I know that your vision's always been strong, but how did you get into all of this? You know, where did you're leading a big company now? Can you give us your background, where you started, how you grew up and, and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when I was younger, it was, we were fairly poor. I grew up in Northern Indiana. I think my mother at one point said our home, I asked her how much our mortgage was. She said it was for $13,000. And I asked her if we financed that. And she said, yes. And I was like, what was that payment? Like 80 bucks a month. So I was in this position and I had a great childhood, but I always knew like, I didn't, I didn't want this for myself. I wanted something bigger. And, and I just always knew that. And I think one of the first, a lot of folks now, they don't have that. You know, when I was a kid, it was like, I want to be a fireman. I want to be an astronaut. And I was, I was in the astronaut camp and that helped me tremendously just to set the tone for, you know, wanting to be something, knowing that there's something else that I can achieve and, and working towards that goal. When I was 13, the thing that comes with being not so well off financially as your kid, at least for me, was I had low self-esteem. I was kind of a nerd in high school. I was undersized. I wasn't great at sports. I read a lot. And not all, you know, that's called nerd, right? <laughs> or it used to be. Yeah, I think now so, those are the cool kids. But yeah, back then, right. uh, I'm with so, you. so I wasn't one of those. My cousin came over when I was, I think I was around 13 years old. And he was, I didn't know him that well growing up. 
he didn't live that far away, maybe 20, 25 minutes, but he had just graduated from the FBI Academy. And I remember asking him, what do you have to do? What do I have to do to do what you do? Because he was like a god to me at that moment. He had a trunk full of guns and just had his badge and all this stuff. <laughs> and, you know, he told me, you know, they take accountants, they take Marines, but he really, he didn't say it quickly. He kind of thought about it and took his time. And I, I'll never forget that because it was so meaningful to me. And it, it's a reminder to us all, like, you know, young people are listening to you. And he had no idea that he impacted me that way. And I ended up that I was 13. I ended up going to Purdue University and I studied accounting. And then I also, while I was there, joined the Marine Corps Reserves and, and I got into an officer program with the Marines later. But that was the moment that I had a vision. I had something to shoot for that was real. And I didn't go, you know, telling everybody that. Most people probably don't even know this story. And I didn't, you know, obviously go into the FBI. I did graduate from Purdue. I graduated and I was successful in the Marines, but it didn't matter. You know, it kind of got me out of that place that I was living into another world. Right. And I'm always else, grateful for that. There's yeah. something else to shoot for, something that hadn't really been in your, you know, immediate vision before, right? He sort of made that a little more real for you. Right. And it was something I'm like, I could do that. It was just something that was, was like, yeah, that's something I could do. Astronaut, right. probably not. Well, there always has to be somebody that you've heard that old. In fact, you might be able to jump in here because I'm already spacing out on the guy's name. But you know that, oh, Roger Bannister, you know, the whole four yeah. minute mile. Have you heard of that story before? I Where, did, yeah. Yeah, for like years and years and years, like no, I mean, nobody had ever busted a four minute mile. And then I'm paraphrasing all of it. And some banister geek out there is going gonna, gonna, to, is wanting to strangle me right now. But I know that right. within, he finally broke the four minute mile. And within months, it was like 50 something people had broke that same four minute thing because someone's got to show you it's possible, right? So I think it starts with like, you're saying, you gotta have a vision, you gotta have a why, right? So you had this leverage of like, I know what I don't want it to be like. I have a kind of an idea of where I want it to go. And I'm starting to maybe see mentors appear, you know, maybe it's this kid from school that, that you knew. And yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Keep going. Yeah, I did that. And when I graduated, I was not a person that was, well, I, I wanted to make a lot of money. And my GPA wasn't that great to get into you know public accounting. And I, I didn't even want to do accounting. That was the, the negative side of me taking that degree so I could get in the FBI. But I didn't know I wanted to make a lot of money. I, sales sounded like a, a good place. So I started out at John Hancock in Chicago and I failed there in some sense, but it was a huge victory. And John Hancock, I was series seven licensed in brokerage. It was 350 cold calls a day, which doesn't sound possible, but it is. And they were all no's. And, you know, six months of getting told, well, in a less than friendly way, no, 350 times a day. It doesn't matter how big your ego is. It takes a beating. And I, at the time I was married, I had a, a child, a stay-at-home wife and a child at home. I had to eat. You know, I wasn't making anything there. So I said, well, I'll, I'll be an accountant. In Chicago, accounts make decent money at the time. And I went to a headhunting firm to be placed. And I told the recruiter, you know, this is I don't really want to do this. I kind of have to, you know, if there's some sort of hybrid role that I could get in with sales and, you know, that'd be great. And he said, why don't you work here? And he said, we hire accountants, we recruit and place accountants only. And he told me if I was an idiot, I could make 85,000 my first year. And if I made the phone calls, he said I had to do a hundred phone calls a day. And if I was an idiot and a hundred phone calls a day equals 85 grand there. And I knew I was, well, maybe an idiot and definitely I could do that many phone calls a day. So 
the blessing of John Hancock for me was they showed me how to hammer the phones at such a rate. And when I started at that headhunting firm, I it was kind of a slow start. And it was probably because of the bad experience I had it, you know, just prior on the phone. But then I just crushed it there. So I'm always grateful for that John Hancock experience. That's why I say it's it's a fail and from one lens, but it wasn't. It was really a, a huge stepping stone for me. And that's what kind of got me into the recruitment and staffing business was that so, first job. And how, and how long, I know you were with them for a little while. I know you did pretty well. How long were you with that first firm? Yeah, I was there three or four years. That company ended up moving me and my family to Indianapolis to you know kind of take on a different roles. And our Indianapolis branch wasn't doing that great at the time. I was in Chicago. So I took them up on that. And I stayed probably another year after that, or just short of a year. And then I went off on my own with a with a guy that I knew from there to do LGC. So how old were you when you moved from, or when you guys started at LGC? What age was that for you? Around 27. Okay. And so you had gone from poor upbringing, you see this thing, you think you want the FBI via the Marines, you go through the Marines, and then you end up through John Hancock, through there you end up with this recruiting firm. How much were you earning with that recruiting firm before you got into working with LGC? Yeah, I was making around, you know, pretty consistently 130000 a year. Uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, in your mind, was that, I mean, obviously, it seemed like you you got this fire in your belly and you wanted more, but at that time... I can just relate because like, I remember the first time I made like 50 grand, even like everybody in my family was like, Oh my God, like you're like, you're like the Rockefellers over here, you know? And so (laughs) (laughs) when you broke a hundred K, was it like, this is great or was it great, but Hey, there's more out there. How did that feel? Broke it. And you know, it feels great. And I said, I didn't do that great at first. I I didn't bill anything. I don't think for three, three, four months. And Mm -hmm. I was worried I was, they were going to let me go because, you know, because of that distant, that amount of time. And, and I remember my boss was like, we're not letting you go. You're the first person here and the last person to leave. Like, it's going to break for you. Just keep doing it. And the, like the fourth or fifth month, I billed $90,000 in permanent placement just in 30 days. And my commission check was $35,000. Nice. Yeah, I, it was insane to me. And it just opened my eyes to something new. And when, you, when that happens, it just doesn't go back, right? I mean, your brain kind of makes the shift and you don't go backwards. I think one of the things there though, it was, I knew, well, there wasn't a lot of room for growth there because I was a salesperson making that much. My boss probably made 60, 70, 80,000 less than I was a year. Right. So that's, that's not appealing. So I learned a lesson there because there was this talent drain happening because of that. And I didn't want to be, I couldn't have saw myself at the time, like, Hey, I'm going to be 50 years old, making a hundred phone calls a day. Still. I wanted something more than that. So that was really the catalyst for me leaving was I didn't want to be sitting in that chair, making a hundred dials a day when I was you know, 50. So I was really like kind of just looking forward and saying, yeah, I can make a lot of money, but it's, there's something. I it just seems like that's a incredible, it's a rare, certainly a rare person at 27 who conceptually gets that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I mean, I know you can, at the time you probably thought like, well, that's just the way I was wired. And I was kind of looking at the next thing, yeah. but I look now at most 26, 27 year olds and, and there's some, you know, exceptions, but the, if they're making great money, generally a lot of times they're good with where they're at. You know, they're not necessarily thinking about 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. And I think it's yeah. a pretty evolved way to be thinking. So tell me about the origins of LGC and how that got going. Yeah. And, and real quick, let me speak to yeah. that about the, you know, I, 
that was a blessing that was kind of built into being a recruiter was I was able, I interviewed hundreds and since then thousands of individuals. So I got to see these guys at different stages of their careers. And one of the things that happened at when I was at that search firm was, well, 9-11 happened and there was a guy that I was going to place and I think he was making a hundred and he was probably in his mid fifties. And at that time, it's kind of like it is now you could quit your job and get 130 tomorrow, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're making, well, I had him a kind of a job offer, like let's say at 110, he turned it down and this was pre 9-11 and because he thought he was worth more. I'm like, yeah, you were making a hundred, right? I mean, it's, I got you a 10% raise, but anyway, 9-11 happened and that guy blew my phone up and because he was burned. And, you know, then the next thing, the thing I heard with that guy, he's, he was, he took a temp job for the company I was with and he was making 26 bucks an hour. And that's when I said, because he was older and he was competing right. with these young Ernst and young guys that were 30 making the same amount and they were going to hire them every time over him. And that was really the catalyst. And it was eye opening saying, I'm not going to get caught in that spot. That's awful. Right. And I think also to your point of being in the same industry, and it's funny because I see it sometimes with my kids or just friends that I've had that have been involved with our business. They tend to interview really, really well because they've seen the other side, right? They've seen people who have turned down the wrong offers, who don't know what to say, who don't have a vision. And so I think, yeah, it's so cool how these different experiences for you, some of them with intent, always, it seems like with a strong work ethic, it seems like you've had a strong work ethic, like the whole time. And like you're saying, a vision of at least knowing maybe not the ultimate goal, but that you want to do something more than where you've been, right? And so how did that, so now you're at these crossroads going, okay, this is good. It won't last forever. I'm going to need to make my plan. And how did you get connected and involved with LGC? Yeah, my there was a senior regional vice president at the, at the search firm that I was with who he had, he was a high powered person. There was probably somebody I stayed away you know, when, he, when he was around, but he was good friends with my boss there. And he had left to start you know, this concept, this hospitality staffing concept. And a few weeks after he left, I didn't know anything about it. A few weeks after he left, I resigned and in the I was full blown just looking for employment somewhere else. And because it's a hundred percent commission job, basically it's it doesn't make sense to stay there if you're if you're not gonna produce. So mm-hmm. I left, I started searching and he called me and said, Hey, we're doing this. I mean would this be something you're interested in? And at the time I was like, ah, eh, maybe, I don't know. I, I, th- I thought I was burned out on staffing and, um, but I met with him, I went to his house and we had a meal and it was it was like, yeah, this is fresh and exciting. And I liked that it wasn't accounting and finance. It was hospitality. It seemed a little more fun. So and I took a risk. I, I didn't dwell on it that much. The thing is, I mean, I at that time, then I had a wife and three kids. or, or I had two kids at home and one on the way that stayed home. And he had a similar situation. And I trusted that because I knew this guy has to work. Right. He can't fail. And because I, I didn't know what how he was going to be on the phone and stuff either. But that was kind of how it started. And when we started it... We got so busy fast and it was exciting. Uh, I was juiced again by being in the industry. Well, that was around, was that like 2005-ish or so? 2003. 2003. So you guys have been in business about 19 years now? Yep. And so I was reading, and I just don't know if it's all up to date because I haven't talked to you in a little while, but I saw, are you guys in over 40 cities now? Yep. We've got 40 cities. We've... We've got about 200 internal employees and probably W2 close to 30,000 temporary employees this year. Wow. And so they're all just managed by those local cost centers. They'll have like a pool of people that you guys then, when someone you know needs your services, so you guys will send big chunks of people out at a time, I would assume. Yeah. 
Yes, that's right. And we will, I mean, if sometimes people call and say, I need a dishwasher at 6am tomorrow just for the day or whatever. And we, we do that too, if it's in the local area, but we do have big volume orders. I mean, the NFL would, or the pro football teams would maybe call and say, I need a hundred to 300 people for concessions for these games and in the cities that we're in. And now we've We've kind of branched out. We'll do large events for like the PGA and that sort of thing in cities that we're not in, as long as the orders are big enough. So that's some fun stuff that we do, but predominantly it's the it's in the, the cities we have offices in. Amazing. And so what's changed about your leadership? So in these last few years, and not, if there's any parts that you want to go back to and touch on, because we just yeah. covered about 16 years in about two minutes because we went from the start, you know, and I fast forwarded to what you guys are doing now. Right. But that growth from where you guys were, and it was super busy and exciting getting to 40 offices. Fill me in, like, what did that look like? You know, where, I mean, were you, it sounds like you guys were successful out of the gates. I'm sure this didn't yeah. come without some growing pains. It sounds like you guys are the original two and that you're still both active. I mean, so maybe right. just walk me through that that whole part of this yeah. journey. And you said something about my leadership shift at the beginning of this. And that caught me because, so kind of let me start there that, because that was such a big piece in where I'm at today. Around 2017 or 2018, I told you I was money motivated as a, you know, in my 20s and that carried, but there was a point and it was probably around, I don't know, like mid, like 2016, 2017, I started to just lose my interest and I wasn't jazzed about, you know, coming into LGC every day and something was missing for me. And it was an awful feeling. And I probably let that go on for too long as a lot of times they do. But I realized at some point, and it was probably around the time I met you in that time frame, that I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled because I wasn't growing again. And the company was growing. I wasn't growing personally though. And I wasn't giving back. So around that time, and I, it wasn't like, you know, hit me in a five minute span. It was probably a, an evolution over a year. I just realized where I made the shift to grow our internal staff. And it was kind of mixed in too. It was like, if I'm at these places in my life where I feel stuck, which I did, and I wasn't jazzed about stuff, that tells me, that's a signal to me that I need to reset my vision. Maybe I need to make it bigger because I'm bored with, you know, what I've kind of where I'm at. Right. And that happened. That's exactly what happened. So I said, you know, what, what does LGC at 500 million look like? And I kind of started with that. And what would we have in place? What kind of systems and policies, procedures, or what would we look like? What would we had to be able to do 500 million. And we started back in, or I started backing into, well, it comes down to the people. We need leaders, more leaders right away. And, and the choice is, well, we can hire them and that's always unknown or we can train them. So there was a huge, that was a huge shift for me. And ever since I made that shift, and I'm not absolutely responsible for all of LGC's growth in the last five years, there's other things too attributing, but it, the company grew like wildfire after that shift from chasing money to working on giving back and developing other people. And the money comes anyway, right? right. So I think that was such a huge, and it's not a cliche, like people are like, oh, you, you know, don't, don't chase the dollars, chase something else and it'll come. It's absolutely true. And I would tell anybody, if you're in your 20s and 30s, like it's absolutely fine to chase money. Like, yeah. I know there's like a taboo around that, but it's like, no, if, if that's working, then keep doing it. But for me, it stopped working. Yep. And I, after I made that shift, I found like there's, there's such a whole nother level of fulfillment that you can get through the work. Totally. Well, I also think it's different things for different stages in life too. You know, you're in your 20s, your guy, you didn't grow up with a lot of money. You had it in your head that that was an area you were going to go. That was your definition, at least some level of being successful yeah. and absolutely nothing wrong with going and getting in that. And then that gives you some freedom to even be able to look at this other stuff. Because unfortunately, when 
it's a very rare individual that has no financial resources and can still be very generous or still focuses on contribution, right? That's a very hard thing to do. And so, but I hear you. I mean, because I mean, I think you and I both met in probably our 40s or maybe you were still in your 40s and I was in my early 50s. But it was like that old Tony Robbins thing of, of success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And you look at the books and you go, this all works. This went exactly how I wanted it to go. Why doesn't it feel better? And I think until there's a bigger vision than just ourselves and money inherently is kind of one dimensional, right? It's just like, okay, you get it. It's nice. It pays the bills. It helps to make things. But unless there's other people involved in that, I mean, I've felt that before too, where it's like, well, so what? You know, okay, right. stock price goes up or whatever. So, gosh, it's cool that at the beginning when you talked about your leadership lesson, it's vision, because for you, it really has been. You know, you've already given me four or five incidents probably in your life where it's been like, I don't like where I am, establish a vision, get out of it, like work that coupled with your work ethic, right? It's like vision, work ethic, and then natural leadership ability. And you did it when you were a kid and you did it to get out of being a cold caller and you did it to get out of solo recruiting into LGC. And then to take LGC to the next level. So what else has been going on at LGC the last few years? Well, COVID, COVID yeah. happened. And we, well, we're in the hospitality business. So we got whacked, you know, pretty hard. I think our, our sales dropped by 50% pretty quickly. And, you know, that experience, it's like one of those Marine boot camp, you know, I'm glad I did it, but I don't want to do that again. <laughs> right. And I wouldn't recommend it to most, but that experience made us better. I remember when COVID started and our sales dropped, we had an office in Seattle and they were doing, you know, 5 million in sales a year and they dropped to zero in a week. And that was kind of the canary in the coal mine for us. We had, because it was on the West coast and that city got impacted so hard, it gave us a couple of weeks in the other markets that didn't know what was coming. And some of our competitors that they only had one or two offices that they had no clue what was coming. So we kind of had a heads up, but I remember in the thick of it going, Poor me, you know, and the, and the tickers up in the top left corner of the TV showing deaths or whatever. And it's, it was all consuming. And I remember looking in the mirror one day and said, and I just said, what can I do? What can I do? And it, I got an answer. And the answer was, you know, I need to get back to our employees. And I need, because I knew what they were getting fed every day and in, in the doom and gloom on TV. And we need to be louder. We need to encourage them. We need to get, shift their focus back to what matters. And we did it. We were loud. And I was so energized through that first year. I was getting up at, you know, 435, which isn't, you know, necessarily like me because I just had to give, give back. And I think that was, we were very successful throughout COVID. We pivoted very quickly and we went after, because we're in the hospitals for food service. Now we just doubled down on hospitals, nursing homes. K through 12 was obliterated for us. And so was the colleges and most of the sports. So, and then we started taking our hospitality staff and plugging them into retailers because they had a good image. They were in front of the house banquet servers and bartenders. We plugged them into these places that were booming, like, you know, the Walmarts and the Lowe's and those types of places. So the pivot that we made up saved a lot of frustration. Your pivot saved me. I don't know if you remember this, but early in COVID, you and I talked about, you know, we come from at that time, different ends of the business. I know you guys do some perm placement, but that's all we do, right? And you guys do a lot of staffing and we were at a standstill. I mean, it was like the faucet got turned off. We do leadership placement, executive level, you know, mid to high level. And then you were just starting to think about how to redeploy your workforce and just the way you were thinking 
got me to rethink what we were doing. And there were certain things I just couldn't change. You know, we weren't going to permanent place leaders in Fortune 500 companies that were downsizing. That wasn't going to happen. But we completely blew up the old company and we started a new one. You know, Leaders Lab is only 15 months old. We rebranded our website. We did all these different things. And as things started coming back, that pivot brought us back and we had our best year ever in 2021. We're going to do it again in 2022. Yeah, I noticed it with other kinds of businesses too, Glenn. Like I live in New York now and at the beginning of COVID, of course, restaurants were hit very hard at the beginning. If you remember just the very beginning, mm-hmm. right? They ended up being some of the most busiest places, but at the very beginning, as you know, in your business, they got hit hard. I mean, they were shut down. People couldn't go out, all of that. And here in New York, they were trying to help them stay alive. So the government would give them money. They would allow them to set up patios on streets and do all these different things. What you would see on one street would be some people that took the new rules, you know, the rules of COVID, the rules of the changing economy. And all of a sudden you'd go, holy crap, like, look at that guy. He's got four times as much seating as he's ever had. And he's not paying for it. Other than the temporary structure that he put out on the street, right? But he's got six tables inside. He's got 20 tables now on the street. And like his two competitors for the same kind of food on the same street don't even exist anymore because they never even tried to pivot. So now he's filling 24 tables or whatever the math was in there. But I can just look at at that and just go, you know, there's always going to be an opportunity in this stuff if we take it. But you, I never even thanked you for that or talked to you about that. But that conversation we had was was just mainly me asking you what you guys were doing inspired me to kind of get off my butt and and make some changes for our business that made us ultimately better. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And I I remember, well, I was talking to some of our competitors at the time and they weren't doing anything. They were just kind of frozen. Their, Their plan was to hunker down and kind of wait it out. And they were playing golf like, and I'm just not wired that way. I couldn't. So yeah, it was just different for us and it worked. Well, it was smart. And uh, yeah, I started day trading for a while. I I did all these things that really all I needed to be doing again was focusing on what was next because rules are going to change. I mean, COVID was a drastic change, obviously, of the way that we do business and we're still feeling the impacts now of supply chain and all of that. But rules are going to change all the time. The only difference with the COVID era was that they changed much faster. They just kind of whipsawed, right? And and now we're dealing yeah. with the other side of that, which is hyperinflation and all of that. But it's really interesting. It's interesting to see how people are. I finally got off my butt, but it took me a little while. It took me, you know, conversation with you and getting tired of the news and some things like that. Right. And I remember, it, and I said, you know, that it's the focus shift. And I'm a huge believer that the leader, the leader's job is to shift focus back to what matters. And first, and that starts with me, right? Me, my focus. And I woke up to that idea more because of COVID, because the news and the media was so loud and it was shifting focus to itself, right? And this this problem and this stuff's wrong. I, that was a huge lesson I learned about leadership in COVID. It's just the ability to shift. And that's why I said inside of LGC, we were shifting focus back. We were loud in the way we did it to hold attention because everybody's attention was getting pulled to one thing and it wasn't a positive thing. And there was nothing they could do about it anyway. So I think that's one of the things we learn is, well, for ourselves, whenever we're off track, shifting our own focus back to something that's meaningful that we decided we wanted. But also for the employees at all times, it's like keep shifting their focus back to the things that matter. Yeah. Because if you don't have their attention, somebody else does. And it might be TikTok, right? right. And that's not going to help 
them or me. So that was a. I don't know, Glenn. I, th- I think you doing some dancing videos on TikTok would be <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I love the way that you phrase that. I being louder and really meaning being forefront in their minds, right? You're competing for their attention. And can you as a leader paint, not only paint a compelling vision, but keep it at the forefront, keep it in their vision, right? Make sure that they're getting the feedback that they need. There's so many things that go along with that, right? But being loud is a term for yeah, make sure the vision is painted and is large enough, is exciting enough that they're engaged enough to break them away from all this other stuff that's like negative and not taking them anywhere. And you guys have obviously done that really yeah. well. What along this journey has been your biggest failure would you consider? Oh, that's a hard one, Ken. There's so <laughs> many. I think it, it was probably related just to making the shift. I wish I would have done it sooner in life. That period of time kind of where I wasn't maybe so much jazzed about I thought it was about LGC. And I think a lot of people get to these places in life where they're like, it's my spouse's fault or it's my Mm -hmm. job's fault. Like, I'm not jazzed about this person or this place anymore. And I learned, you know, it was for me, but I hung in that place for way too long. And I didn't know I was stuck. And I didn't know I was the one that was keeping myself stuck there. And so, you know, I, I think it would have served me and the company a lot better if I would have probably made that choice about five years prior. I get you. Sorry to look back on that. One, it's funny because most of us that are going to be on this podcast or podcasts like this don't really associate things that didn't work out with failure necessarily, as long as you learn from them, what you did, right? right? So it's kind of a loaded question, but I get where you're coming from. What is one lesson that your journey has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? I think it's the leading, it's probably just leading yourself first and knowing that if I can't get myself, if I want to do so, let's say I want to lose weight. And if I can't get myself to do it, how in the heck am I going to get an employee who doesn't want to do their job to do that? Right. So I really think it's like, I have to get control of myself first. I have to lead myself. I have to know how to those moments where I want to stay on the couch a little extra long or hit the snooze button to find a way. And when I know that, and I'm successful at doing it, then I can, then I'm qualified to do it with other people, but it starts there. And this, I, you know, firing people and giving them a raise, which is usually the only two tools people have to motivate. It's not the great tools. Right. There's a better way, but you've got to figure out how to do it to yourself first. Very good. No, thank you. Uh, if you can hear snoring in the background, that's my dog. I think we're boring him. He's, he gets picked up by this microphone. <laughs> I can hear him like loud and clear. What's something that, what was it like a byproduct of this whole journey? It can be with, with LGC or prior, but what's been the unexpected benefit of all of it? Yeah, I think it's just realizing that, well, for me, especially, it doesn't have to be this way, but for me, like just realizing how everything is so connected. So when you're leading at a high level at work, how, and you can influence at a high level and including influencing yourself at a high level, how that spills over into your personal relationships in such an amazing way. And the relationships I have with my kids, my relationships outside work are so much more rewarding now because of, you know, kind of these leadership lessons that I've learned at at LGC. So it wasn't something I was looking for. You know, I thought they were just separate issues, but they're not. And we all have to influence our kids just like we influence our employees. And we want to coach our kids up, you know, to become something great, just like we do our employees. And it's all kind of one thing to me now. And I'm grateful for that. That was a huge bonus for me. I like that. And I think you're absolutely right. If something is going on in one, it's definitely affecting the other. And I feel that myself. 
few things around. I'm big on routines. I'm interested in other people's routines and what they do and kind of how they schedule their week. What is, you don't kind of give me like, you know, every minute by minute, but in a nutshell, how is your week broken out? Are you, you know, in the office every day at a certain time? Is it, does it kind of flow? Like what, what does that look like for you on a, on a week to week basis? Yeah, mostly working from home. Our corporate headquarters is in Indianapolis, Indiana. I, I live in Charlotte. We do have an, a local office here that I visit from time to time, but I can get more done from here. And I, I feel like I'm a distraction to them when I'm there. So, you know, typically for me, and, you know, I, I work out every day, you know, and I do short, intensive workouts, not, not, nothing our stuff. I listen to, you know, the financial news in the morning, more like macro stuff, macro trends, and also some motivational stuff. But that's important to me. It, it just kind of loads my brain up. And after, well, and one of the things that's important to me is that, you know, I have an office, I have a desk, I dress business casual every day, even if I know I will not see a soul. Because for me, and I believe it's true, you, you cannot wear a Snuggie and be laying in bed and commanding a large army, right? Like right, it's, right. It's just, it doesn't work. Like even psychologically, it just doesn't work. So it's important to me that that's a ritual. It's like get up just like as if I'm going to the office and I treat my day as if I'm in the office. Outside of that, my creative time is in the morning. So I'll send a lot of emails out to the to the company related to leadership or that sort of thing that all comes in the morning and, but by the, if I start getting into the numbers of things or math that creative part's shot for me so I always do that in the morning first and then the afternoon is more you know the the bigger the math and the the right. company specifics are you still a lot of hours in the business like you're you're full time you're every day Yes. And, you know, it's kind of gotten to, it's a feast or famine thing. Like some weeks I'm like, oh, there's nothing. And then other weeks, it's just insanely busy for me. So so now we're going into our busy season. We're kind of gearing up. We'll do 50% of our sales in the last four months here. The schools, K through 12 and colleges and the NFL comes back on. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going into a busier season, but it's probably 20 to 50 hours a week. Gotcha. And it's hard to plan for. I don't always know when it's going to be busy. What's are there any hacks or anything you do from a productivity standpoint? Any tools that you use that you're like, man, I can't believe everybody's not doing this, you know, or I can't believe everybody's, you know, and it can be anything from diet to fitness to, you know, an app or anything else. Yeah. Well, I do intermittent fasting. That's the easiest hack for me. I'm lean. I don't have to work that hard at it. I can eat whatever I want at night. So that's a huge hack. You know, I, I think as it relates to, well, just globally in my life, every year, you're familiar with the RPM program. Yeah. I do that every year religiously. And so RPM stands for Rapid Planning Method, I believe. And it's yeah, Tony yeah. Robbins program. I should know yep. it because I'm a Tony Robbins trainer, but I haven't looked at it in a little while. But I, yep. I have it like ingrained in the way I do things now for like a lot of years, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it does become ingrained, but I think the big thing is just writing down and say, what do I want my body to be like at the end of this year? What, what specifically, and what I want the business to be and, and just thinking through all those things at the beginning of every year helps me in such huge ways. And there was times that, you know, I might have had some financial goals or whatever, and, I, and maybe I was focused on another area and throughout the year and I hit the other area. But then when I went back and looked, I hit the things I wasn't so focused on too. And I don't think it was an accident. I think it was just by virtue of the fact that I spent the time, I kind of put that in my brain, like, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to go after. It just happens organically. And that's the beauty of the vision. It, it doesn't have to be just a fight for work all the time. If you know what you want, it's going to start to, and, and you're working, but it, it doesn't have to be 
all consuming all the time. Like if right. you set the vision, it's going to, some of it's going to happen organically or people well, can call it the law of attraction or whatever they want, but it works. Well, you were also talking about this interconnectivity between, you know, personal and business life. And if one's going well and it reflects in the other and same with, you know, your relationships. And I do think like a high tide raises all boats, right? So if the goal was to do this really cool thing with business, but then as, and that's the big goal, but then the side goals are, you know, I want to take this big trip. I want to, whatever they are, right? I want to improve my health and fitness. It's like the energy that you get from the one goal spills into yeah. the other or the even financial energy. You know, it's like, oh, we did do well at work. Now we can afford the trip, you know? So it's, there's momentum that's involved in all of this stuff that, okay. So speaking of all of that, do you feel at this point, I know you're always working on it. I know you're a vision and a goal guy and a hard worker. Is there one particular area of life you're more focused in right now? Or are you feeling pretty well balanced? I, you know, the the balance is day to day, right? I mean, it's usually always for me. It's always like watching the balance because it's so important. But it's probably LGC right now, just because I feel like the economy is, you know, just looking out for the next twelve months. It looks pretty rough. It looks like mm-hmm. rough seas ahead, right? So. Because of that, and we are a company that's always anticipating, like, what's next? What can we be doing? What do we got to be thinking about? And that's drawn me in. When it's smooth sailing, that's when I get my 20-hour weeks, right? But it, right now, it's one of those, well, it's smooth sailing right now, but I something's ahead, so it's it's kind of engaging. I think that's drawn more of my attention lately. Might possibly be like calm before the, the storm, right? Yeah. With the economy. So, okay, just a few rapid fire questions and I'll let you out of here. So if you could be remembered for one thing, Glenn, what would it be? That I help people. I, I really impacted their lives in a positive way. Cool. Best compliment you've ever gotten. You know, we just did a training and somebody, my business partner told me that I was a great trainer and it really, it was great to hear from him. That's Probably cool. because he's a mentor of mine. He's a great guy. I'm just hearing that from him. It kind of hit me. I love that. So we're going to put information about your company, about LGC and you know how to find you guys. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we wrap up, Glenn? No, I think this is great that you're doing this and I appreciate you, you having me on. Thank you. You're somebody I've seen eye to eye with kind of, you know, since we first met. And I just really, you know, if you guys can't tell, Glenn's got a great deal of humility mixed with confidence because they can happen at the same time. And I think... I never would have known the size of company that you were running at the time by your demeanor. And I mean that in a good way, right? Like you didn't, that wasn't your identity was how can I serve and how can I show up and help people, you know, to then see you guys and and really learn not only about the kind of leader that you are, but that you're continuing to evolving to be like, you've just been on this hyper growth path this last few years. And it's really cool to see. And thanks so much for joining me, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Ken. All right. Take care. Hey, thanks for dropping in on my conversation with Glenn Greenewalt. You can tell Glenn is just a heart-centered, mission-driven, contribution-oriented, just a really strong leader. And I'm so impressed with everything that he's done personally and with LGC. You can learn more about Glenn and about LGC at lgcassociates.com. You can find Glenn on LinkedIn. And we will see you next week for another episode of the Leaders Lab podcast. Thanks. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.